Psalm 7. Lord my God, I take refuge in you. Save and deliver me from all who pursue me, or they will tear me apart like a lion and rip me to pieces with no one to rescue me. Lord my God, if I have done this and there is guilt on my hands, if I have repaid my ally with evil or without cause have robbed my foe, then let my enemy pursue and overtake me. Let him trample my life to the ground and make me sleep in the dust. Arise, Lord, in your anger. Rise up against the rage of my enemies. Awake, my God, decree justice. Let the assembled peoples gather around you while you sit enthroned over them on high. Let the Lord judge the peoples. Vindicate me, Lord, according to my righteousness, according to my integrity, O Most High. Bring to an end the violence of the wicked and make the righteous secure. You, the righteous God, who probes minds and hearts. My shield is God Most High, who saves the upright in heart. God is a righteous judge, a God who displays his wrath every day. If he does not relent, he will sharpen his sword, he will bend and string his bow. He has prepared his deadly weapons, he makes ready his flaming arrows. Whoever is pregnant with evil conceives trouble and gives birth to disillusionment. Whoever digs a hole and scoops it out falls into the pit they have made. The trouble they cause recoils on them. Their violence comes down on their own heads. I will give thanks to the Lord because of his righteousness. I will sing the praises of the name of the Lord Most High. As we pray, I'll invite you, if you haven't already, to open up your Bible. And uh, we're going to look at Psalm 7 together. Let's pray. Gracious God, uh, we thank you that you are both a righteous judge and a mighty warrior. And uh, today, as we look at the psalm, we're going to be reminded of both of those truths and how they help us when we face injustice or when we see injustice in our world. Uh, And so use this passage to speak to us and to help us to trust in you. In your son's name we pray. Amen. So God cares about injustice. And because God cares about injustice, his people should care about injustice too. God hears the cry of those who are suffering from injustice. And because God hears the cry of those who suffer from injustice, his people should listen to that cry as well. What is injustice? Injustice is any situation in which uh, an individual uh, is being treated unfairly or without justice. And that could be either by uh, another person is doing it, it could be a group of people that are doing it, or it could be a systemic issue that is causing the injustice to happen. This is uh, the story of the Bible is the story of God working against injustices. You see this all throughout the Bible. So we'll just start with an illustration right from, the, right from Scripture, the story of the Exodus. All right, so um, kids, at the Exodus, who is... Uh, where are the people of Israel in the story of the Exodus? What country are they in? Oh, have mercy. Come on. Say Egypt, somebody. 
Egypt, thank you. Okay, goodness gracious, it's going to be a rough morning. Um, All right, so the people of Israel are in Egypt, and Pharaoh is not a nice guy. Pharaoh is oppressing them. In fact, Pharaoh is treating them so badly that in, in Exodus 1, we read in one verse, it says this. It says that he worked them ruthlessly and made their lives bitter. He treated them uh, with harsh labor. In all their harsh labor, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. Uh, So the Israelites were being treated really, really badly. They were being treated unjustly by, um, by Pharaoh. And then this is what we read in Exodus chapter 3. Uh, So God says, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard their crying out to me because they're slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hands of the Egyptians. You see that? I have come down to rescue them, but but hold on, okay? Um, And to bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land. Skip ahead a few verses. And now the cry of Israel has reached me. I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. Okay, you see that? He's saying the same thing again. You see that? But but then all of a sudden he's going to make a change. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the people, uh, to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. God listens to, he hears the cry of those who are experiencing injustice. He does something about it. He says, I have come down. I have come down to do something about it. And then he says, I have heard the cry of my people. They're suffering from injustice. Moses, you go do something about it. Okay. You see that? God's care for injustice and the way that his church is supposed to enact are connected to one another, right? So now we, what we've been doing with the Psalms of Lament is I have been, uh, every sermon has had kind of three points, has had three points, right? That we, uh, we, we call out to God, we turn to God, we bring our lament, and we hold out hope. In this particular Psalm, I was trying to figure out how to make that work. And what I realized is that in this particular psalm, these things are so interwoven into each other that it would be like untying a knot. You know that you, know, you get like a string or something like that, and it's just all knotted up, and you just sit there with your nails, and you're just like trying to pull up. You know what I'm talking about, right? It felt like that. So I was like, okay, I'm not going to do that because this is ridiculous. So what we're going to do is two points today as opposed to three. Uh, for those of you who are true Presbyterians, forgive me for not giving you a three-point sermon. Um, and what we're going to do is we're going to look first at the lament. We're going to look at the context that we think David is talking about. And then we're going to look at what David has interwoven throughout the psalm about uh, this particular situation and who God is and how he's hoping in God to work. It's really rather amazing. Um, okay, so the first thing is we're going to look at the cry for lament. Now, um, in, in looking at this particular passage, if you have your Bible open, I don't know if this, I don't know if this got copied over in the bulletins, uh, but if you're looking at a Bible, more than likely uh, you'll have a heading. Where it'll say Psalm 7, and then there'll be a little heading, and then the psalm will start. In that little heading, it says that this is a psalm of David uh, that he said concerning Cush the Benjamite. Now, what's fascinating is we have no clue who Cush is. Like, there's no corresponding story in the historical books about this individual Cush. However, uh, the fact that he's a Benjamite and what we read in the psalm gives us some clue 
as to what is probably happening. And in order for us to kind of get that, we have to jump back in time to this period of time where David had been anointed to be the next king of Israel, but he still wasn't the next king of Israel. Now, do you remember, kids, can I, can I try on you again? Who is the king of Israel before David? King Saul, okay? So Saul is king, and Saul, who knows what tribe? So remember, Israel's got 12 tribes, and so you've got like allegiance to your tribe. Who remembers what tribe Saul is from? Man, you guys, come on now. He's from Benjamin, right? He's a Benjamite. And so Cush is from the same tribe as Saul. And so he is more than likely loyal to Saul. And so what is happening in terms of why all of a sudden Cush has it out for David, we don't know. But it seems pretty clear that Cush, in his loyalty to Saul, has it out for David. And what he's doing is he's accusing David of doing things that David is saying, I have not done. And it's rather ruthless. I mean, the picture you see in verses 1 and 2 is he's saying is like that my enemies are coming on me like a lion, right? They're going to tear me apart. Now, um, I've not seen a lion tear anything apart, uh, but I have seen, uh, in real life, but I have seen animals in movies tear things apart, and it's pretty gruesome right? Uh, Remember that David, if you know the story of David, David actually fought lions at one point uh, in order to protect the flocks. So he knows firsthand what he's talking about when he says, they're like a lion that's coming to tear me apart. Uh, And then he goes on to say in verses 14 and 16, uh, just how intentional, how plotting they are in what they're trying to do. Uh, He says that they're pregnant with evil, that they're conceiving trouble, that they're giving birth to disillusionment, that they dig a hole and scoop it out, uh, and that they cause trouble and violence. So, so Cush and whoever is with Cush has it out for David. Like they, they, they want him dead is what they want him, okay? Uh, and, and in order to like get at him, they're accusing him unjustly of all kinds of things that he hasn't done. What those things are, we don't know. But it's clear that they're accusing him of something. And so David says, God, if I have done this, what they're accusing me of, then I deserve to be treated with justice. It's really interesting. If you, if you read verse 2, it says in verse 2, he says, deliver me from those who pursue me. But then he says in verse 5, If I've done these things that I'm being accused of, may those who pursue me, listen to what he says, let my enemy, let my enemy pursue me and overtake me. Let him trample my life to the ground and make me sleep in the dust. David is so certain of his innocence that he can say, God, I'm asking you to deliver me from these people who are pursuing me. But if I really did do this, then allow them, don't deliver me, give me into their hands. Let them kill me. Let them take my life. That's how certain he is of his innocence. And so he's calling out to God and saying, God, I need your help. Now, um, the reality of injustice, right, is that we, we will all uh, face some kind of injustice at some point in life, more than likely. Or we will witness some kind of injustice at some point in our lives. 
I know because I, you know, I get to know you all, I hear your stories. I know that some of you have firsthand knowledge and experience uh, that you have suffered injustices in your life. I know this. Uh, and that that has come either because of people uh, in your life or because of groups of people in your life or because of systemic issues in our societies. And we all know, right, that we live in a world where there's all kinds of injustice. Like, all we have to do is watch the news, read websites, uh, read books, uh, read articles, and, and we're constantly being confronted with stories of things that are not the way that they're supposed to be. Uh, stories where one group of people are taking advantage or systems are set up to take advantage of the most vulnerable. We know throughout our world, right, that, that um, women and children and ethnic minorities and the poor are regularly the objects of oppression and injustice. We, we know this is true. And the reality is that um, in, in our context here in the United States, that this particular issue of injustice has become a very divisive issue for God's people, right? We, we I think we might all agree, yes, injustice is bad. Um, I hope we all agree on that. Um, and we might all agree on, yeah, injustice is real. There are real injustices that happen in the world, uh, but... Uh, we might look at a situation and some of us might say that's an injustice and others might say, no, that's not an injustice. Uh, And part of the problem, part of the problem uh, is that our moral compass, you know know how compasses work, right? Compass like north tells you, uh, the compass tells you where north is and by looking at the compass, you can gauge what direction you're moving in. So our moral compass should have its true north be what? Scripture, right? God's word, God's revelation to us should be the true north of our moral compass. But the problem is that so often our moral compass is that finds its true north in uh, social media, in news outlets, in our own cultural biases, or in the peer groups that we happen to be a part of. Um, And so as a result, Uh, what happens, one of the things that happens is that we allow those voices to be more dominant. It's not to say that those voices don't have a place at times, but we let those voices be more dominant than the voice of God speaking through his word. So one challenge that, that the church is facing is that we don't even always agree on what injustice is. Right? We, we, we disagree on it, and so therefore our response to particular things will change depending on the issue that we're confronting. The second challenge that we as a church have is that, and this is the nature of injustice very often, is that injustice likes to hide itself, right? Injustice loves to be done in the secret. Uh, And so what ends up happening as a result is that so oftentimes injustices can be happening right next to us, and for any number of different reasons, we may not be aware that the injustice is happening. Just last night, I was reading an article in uh, Christianity Today, uh, and there's a, there's a case coming up to the Supreme Court in April, Tyler versus Hennepin County. 
But look at this. I'm just going to read a little paragraph from this, from this Christianity Today article. The case plane of Geraldine Tyler is a 94-year-old widow and resident of Minneapolis. In 2010, she moved out of her one-bedroom condo because she felt unsafe in her neighborhood after a shooting. She couldn't afford both the rent on her new apartment and the condo's property taxes and left $2,300 in taxes unpaid. Remember, $2,300 in unpaid taxes. Hennepin County in cooperation with the state of Minnesota, added around $13,000 in penalties and fees, giving her a $15,000 bill she could not afford to pay. So she forfeited her condo, but when the state, she didn't get to sell her condo, when the state sold her condo for $40,000, Minnesota didn't just take the 15 it said Tyler owed, it kept the full price of the condo. And there are 12 states in our, in our country that have laws that allow this kind of injustice to happen. I didn't know that. I, like, I didn't even know this was possible, right? I was blind. And now all of a sudden, in reading this article, I'm like, oh, this is an injustice. That the poor and the elderly are treated this way is an injustice, right? And God cares about this kind of thing. Um, so, so that's the context. We, we bring our lament. I don't know what your injustices are. I don't know what all of the stories that you have. But I know that all of us, either because of our, our own personal story or because of the places where we've grown up or because of the, our, our ethnic background, right? We all have points at which we can look and see the reality of injustice and how injustice has affected us individually, the communities that we're a part of, our city, and our world. Amen? Are we, are, we, are we there, right? And God cares. God cares. And David does a masterful job of showing us just how much he cares. So, so David, David is meditating on two aspects of God. Remember what we've said again and again and again, right? In the Psalms, this is true of all, all prayer, but in the Psalms, especially in the Psalms of Lament, the psalmist, the author of the psalm is always meditating on one of two things, sometimes two things at once, right? God's character. Oh, yes, somebody said it. Amen. God's character and God's actions. Yes. Amen. This is awesome. So here we're looking at two aspects of God's character, two aspects of God's identity, okay? God is a righteous judge. God is a righteous judge, and he is a mighty warrior. All right, you believe that? God is a righteous judge, and he is a mighty warrior. And that is what David is holding on to as he is bringing this lament. First of all, and we're going to spend more time looking at judge than we will at warrior, but both are important. Um, so judge, uh, Psalm 7, look at verses 6 to 9 with me. This is a courtroom, right? We're looking at a courtroom scene now. Uh, actually, verse 7. Let the assembled people... Gather around you while you sit enthroned over them on high. Let the Lord judge the peoples. Vindicate me, Lord, according to my righteousness, according to my integrity. Remember, it's like, I'm innocent. I'm righteous. I have integrity. I'm innocent. Um, verse 9, bring to an end the violence of the wicked. Make the righteous secure. You, the righteous God who probes minds and hearts. And then in verse 10, he calls the Lord a righteous judge. And then in verse 17, once again, 
he calls the Lord righteous. So three times David is referring to the Lord as righteous. Now, what on earth does that word mean? Okay, it's a really important word. When we speak of God's righteousness, we're saying that God in his being, in who he is, and like the, the fundamental core of who he is, um, and in his actions, is morally right, just, and pure. Okay? That, that there is not a standard that is righteousness that's floating out there, and that God is able to achieve that level of righteousness. That's not what we're saying. What we're saying is that God is in and of himself. He is righteous. That's who he is. If, you know, you're the thing like if you look in the dictionary, and you look up righteousness, if you could have a picture of God, their picture of God would be there. Okay? Um, so it's essential to who he is. Now, um, the reality is, right, that we know that our courts are not always just. So David is, is asking God, he's like, open up court, sit on your throne, right? Because remember, kings in the ancient world were the judges. Uh, you, see, you see pictures of this. Uh, think of that story of Solomon where the two women come arguing about the child who was the child Solomon is sitting on his throne and he's acting as a judge. He's rendering a verdict in the case. So, so David is saying like, do that, be the judge, sit on your throne. That's part of your right as a king. Uh, here's my case. I'm bringing the case before you. Render your verdict. We know in our world, right, that sometimes the courts fail to bring justice. We know this, right? A woman brings an accusation against a man for sexual harassment, and because of lack of evidence, the man is the, who, who is guilty, right, is, is acquitted, right? Uh, we know of story after story after story, so many stories, too many to count, right, of, of people of color who are killed, and their murderers are let go as if nothing happened, right? I mean, our, our, our history as a country is, there's too many to count. It's disgusting. Um, we, just this past week, or no, two weeks ago, um, I finished listening to a, a podcast um, of, of, the, of a story of, in the early 80s, some of you may know this, right? In the early 80s, there was a huge uh, mass migration of Cubans from the island of Cuba to Miami uh, in this thing that was known as the Mario Boatlift. Um, so long story, I won't go into all the details, about 2,000 Cubans who were seeking asylum in our country were in prison, some of them for 10 years. They'd committed no crime, right? But the United States didn't know what to do with them, so put them in prisons. Uh, and, and because legally they weren't in the country, so they were in Georgia, Alabama, Arkansas, uh, Washington State, where the states that they were imprisoned in. Um, because they were not legally in the country, there's this thing known as a legal fiction that the federal government got to treat them as if they were in international waters. Uh, and so therefore, they had no ability to access our courts in order, to, uh, in order to, to have their cases heard. And they all got sent back to Cuba in the early 90s. Ten years, some of them ten years in prison. Can I tell you how, like, how that infuriates me? Like, to my soul, it infuriates me. Because I have dear brothers and sisters that I know in Cuba who, who have suffered incredible oppression in that country. And to think that our country could do something like that just 
makes me so angry, right? And that's how God responds to injustice, right? When people are not treated with fairness and equity. So he is a judge, right? And as a judge, he will render a verdict. But he's also, get this, he's a mighty warrior, right? He's a mighty warrior. He will defend the cause of the helpless. Notice what David says in verses 10 to 12. The Lord is a shield, right? And as a shield, he's going to protect me. But God isn't just, God just doesn't have a shield, right? He's got a sword and he's got his bow and arrow. So if the first scene, the first half, the scene is a courtroom, I can't help but wonder if the second scene, it's an armory, right? Where God is, is you know, outfitting himself in order to move forward, in order to protect his servant, David. Uh, but again, right, the tension that we have is that so often uh, injustice stands, Right? Uh, things happen, and people are not held to account. And that's why we lament, right? The reason that we have lament is because injustice exists. If justice is served, we don't need to lament, right? If justice is served, we rejoice that wrongs have been righted, that evil has been checked, that those who perpetrate evil are held accountable, But when those things don't happen, the only recourse we have as God's, well, not the only, but the main recourse we have as God's people is to lament, is to cry out to him and say, God, why? But why on earth would we lament to him if he is a righteous judge but doesn't bring justice, if he's a mighty warrior but doesn't defend? I'm glad you asked. Uh, Martin Luther King Jr., Uh, preached a sermon in the National Cathedral in 1968. And this is what he said. This is a line that probably some of you will know if you're familiar with his teaching. Uh, We shall overcome because the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice. Uh, What what Dr. King is saying uh, is this. He says, it may take a long time, but justice will have the last word. How does he know that? How do you and I know that? Because God told us that in his word. So when we look at the gospel, right? The gospel is the good news of what God has done, is doing, and will do through the life, death, resurrection, ascension, and future return of Jesus. And so what God has done in the past through Jesus is that Jesus was a victim of injustice. Uh, Jesus was falsely condemned. Uh, a, a kangaroo court was convened in the middle of the night. A hasty trial was put together uh, in order for him to be executed with criminals for crimes he did not commit. In fact, false accusers were brought in in order to make the case. Jesus was the victim of injustice. So in the past, that's what he's done for you. In the present, when we bring our laments, because he was the victim of injustice, he understands. He cares. He listens. Right? So he is able to empathize with us when we suffer injustice. But what about the future? What about the future? The book of Revelation, the book of Revelation tells us that Jesus 
is a righteous judge and a mighty warrior. If, uh, uh, Revelation 19. I saw in heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. Listen to this. With justice, he judges and wages war. You know what that is? Righteous judge, mighty warrior. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe, dipped in blood, and his name is the word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. I'm going to keep reading past the slide. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule over them with an iron scepter. Psalm 2 right there. Uh, he treads the winepress of the fury of God's wrath, of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. Why do we bring our lament of injustice to Jesus? Because he understands, right? He suffered injustice for you. He allowed the courts could have stopped it at any, at any moment. He could have stopped it. But he allowed the courts of the Sanhedrin and of, and of Rome to have a mock of a trial. And he submitted himself to their judgment and to the penalty of death so that he could free you from sin and deliver you from injustice. That's what he's done for you. So that now when you call out to him in times of injustice, right? When you, when, you, when you say, Lord, how is it that this can happen? Whether it's for yourself or for someone you love or because of some situation in our world. You can cry out to him and say, Lord, how on earth can this happen? And you know, you know, you know, you know, you know. That the answer is. I'm doing something about it. And that's where we take comfort in the words of Dr. King. Right? The arc of the universe is long, but it bends towards justice. Your king is doing something about it. He is the righteous judge. He is the mighty warrior. And one day he's going to come back. And when he comes back, he will render his verdict and it will be a righteous verdict and it will be a godly verdict and injustice will be done with forever. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you that you have elevated your son to be a righteous judge. That, um, that Jesus will one day get up from the throne in which he is sitting uh, and that as he gets up from the throne in order to come down to earth, in order to bring in the new heavens and the new earth, that he will come with the armies of heaven. And that he will come as both a righteous judge and a mighty warrior to defend your people, to reclaim your creation, and to bring about justice. We recognize, Lord, at the same time that we live in a world right now where injustice uh, happens all the time. And that in the same way that you called Moses 
to do something about it that you call us, your church, to do something about it. So Lord, help us through our laments, through our deeds of mercy and justice. Help us uh, to follow in your footsteps, to be a people who care about these things, uh, to be able to use this language of lament that you've provided to us in order to help us uh, to call out to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.